So, uh, it's been a great two weeks, hasn't it? I forget what I was supposed to say. Uh, what was so great about these two weeks, Andrew? I don't know. It's been like such a long time, like 28 days. Yay! Okay, can we... Oh, this is... That's a disclaimer. It's such a bad idea for our intro. And I told you, I told you. I, I forget where I was going with this. This is Control Structure, episode 90, for July 17th, 2015. Big week to everyone listening. This show has notes. Visit thenexus.tv slash cs90 to see them. I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and with me this week is the other host, Stephen Orvis. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Steve. And our guest today is Christopher Bauhoff. Hi, Chris. Hi, Andrew. I like saying it. That's good. Good for me. Go team. Yeah. I'm the color commentator, right? That's kind of racism. Yeah, kind of. A little bit, yeah. But wait, I thought I resolved to not say that anymore. Color? Commentary? Racist. Or yeah? You can't just omit the word yeah from the English language. How dare you take that in your I wasn't. Own hands? Who was talking about that word? I was talking about racist. Wait, you were? Yeah. Whoa! I never thought that about you. I what? will not go about saying that word like you do. Color? Yeah. Racist. What? How is it racist to say yeah? How dare you, sir? Okay, don't we actually have... How dare you? How <laughs> dare you, sir? Don't we actually have I, websites to visit and things to click? And some I buttons? try to turn my back on him, but that just makes him louder. It does, <sighs> because he's trying to make sure you can still hear him. Okay. So, um... Let's see, what else happened? Oh yeah, like, this Independence Day happened, and uh, I went back to uh, my hometown, and there was this uh, PPG plant that closed down, like, a long time ago, like, ancient history, and uh, they apparently demolished the place, mostly, and uh, made it into a park. So it was pretty cool to walk around, like, uh... They had a smokestack with, like, an observation deck on it. You could, like, walk up a bunch of stairs and, like, you know, wear yourself out before you realized, like, how high you were up. Uh, then, uh, let's see, there was, like, a river of glass. That was pretty cool. River of glass, so it, like, actually had glass in it? Yeah, yeah, it was made out of glass, but it looked like, you know, a, like a river or stream or something coming down from a hill. So was it moving? No. Oh, okay, so it was just a static thing. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Uh, I'll probably figure it up here. So, uh, yeah, how you been doing, Chris? Atoms and molecules stuck in a space-time continuum. How about you? About the same? Boring. What? How have you been doing, Steven? Well, I've been doing pretty good. During my 4th of July, I went uh, camping with my family, and so that was pretty fun. Yeah, since then, I've been working and all that good stuff. Bought deer license. We just went on sale, so gotta get it. Oh, there's your river of glasses. Kind of yeah. interesting. So yeah, fixed my gun too. That was another thing that happened. So now, now I can uh, not have to not be armed all the time. Now I have extra arms. Okay, when I ask you guys, how's school? How's 
work, how's life, how's the fam, how's the biz. I pretty much expect that covers everything. And you didn't tell me about, like, half that stuff. Like, the deer license. Or your 4th of July. I asked. Because, because you you're not... Ask about my vacation. And you're not always going to have a vac... Do you want me to add that? How's school, how's life, how's work, how's the fam, how's the biz, how's vacay? That sounds really weird when you say it. Why don't you try life? to be... How about why don't you try to be work? specific? Specific work. It's when you do the work thing like this. I don't know if you milk cows where you work. But if you did, you'd probably like like this. We it's should never good. have video on this podcast. <laughs> probably <laughs> not. We are a mess right now. But just like this. Just like this. They can't see the hand motion, but it's probably disturbing them anyways. So um, probably the sound you're making to go along with it. <laughs> so I like to think that helps. Yeah. Before we get in, we have we want to minorly observe a passing in that uh, Windows Server 2003 is no longer supported. So this is like the uh, server version of Windows XP, which, as you know, died like more than a year ago. So uh, yeah, it's on its way out. So. Uh, Goodbye, Windows Server 2003. Is this where we have that moment of silence to see if Chris can... No, we already had that. Uh, please see the fringe, and uh, we are not liable if you lose your sanity or any other of your functioning organs. Nomification. You have to warn them about nomification or they can sue us. <sighs> well, that went well. I like where we are. So, another podcast, another security vulnerability. You know, as we say here on this podcast, right? That is true. There's always many security vulnerabilities uh, always coming up every day, which is ironic considering how the government wants backdoors and it's already broken anyways. Yeah, so among these backdoors, which may or may not have had government involvement, uh, is OpenSSL yet again. Uh, but this time it is on the client side rather than on the server. Uh, this appears to be a very serious vulnerability in that it will allow you to fake a certificate authority, thereby allowing you to impersonate pretty much any website you want. So how exactly does the detail, how I, I glanced at it, I didn't quite catch. How is it tricking the client into thinking it's the other uh, CA? Well, according to the official description, uh, during certificate verification, OpenSSL starting from version to version, uh, will attempt to find an alternative certificate chain if the first attempt to build such a chain fails. An error in the implementation of this logic can mean that an attacker could cause certain checks to on untrusted certificates to be bypassed, such as the CA flag, enabling them to use a valid LEAF certificate to act as a CA and, quote, issue, unquote, an invalid certificate. So in other words, they have to make the initial try to fail, and then if they can do that, then they can slip their thing in. Yes. So, but for those of us on Windows, ironically, have more security since, you know, like all the major browsers on Windows do not use OpenSSL. Mm-hmm. So, good for us. Um, so, hey, speaking about Windows again, uh, Microsoft is now a gold-level contributor to the OpenBSD project. Uh, The first one, as it turns out, like the first gold-level member. And this is suspected due to the recent inclusion of SSH into Windows. I was trying to remember when I saw OpenBSD, 
SD. There you go. I it reminded me of an operating system called that. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought I thought it was associated with one. So, so but they're also evidently involved with the SSH. Well, uh, the, the Open SSH is a project that you know is maintained okay. or funded by uh, the OpenBSD Foundation. Okay, so even though technically they're kind of a competitor with Microsoft, the money would probably be supposed to be directed at SSH. Yes. Um, so there's OpenSSH, there's oh, OpenSSH, there's OpenBSD, FreeBSD, uh, DragonflyBSD, and like maybe another one, but yeah, there's a few of them. So, um, we... We mentioned quite a while ago, back when all the engines were becoming uh, extremely ubiquitous, uh, like game engines, that is, uh, we uh, announced that CryEngine would be f- coming to Linux, and it finally has, as of version 3.8.1, uh, released about a month ago. Um, so not only does it support Linux, <laughs> it supports OpenGL, obviously, and Oculus Rift. So uh, this is sort of important news in the gaming industry, at least for what I pay attention to, uh, because CryEngine powers the uh, Star Citizen game, which I am really looking forward to. Um, so yeah. So this opens up the pathway for even more games to go to Linux, kind of following the trend that we've seen with Steam and other games recently being released on Linux. Yes. And speaking about other game engines on Linux, how about uh, Unreal Engine 4? Um, I recently came across some really beautiful screenshots of some guy who used the uh, Material Renderer, I think, uh, to make some really pretty uh, seashores and uh, like a winter forest. When you look at them, they, they don't look like video game like screenshots they look like real pictures you most of them you can't tell there's a couple like you see that the shading's a bit weird and that makes you think it's not real but uh they they look pretty good yes very uh some of the rocks here look very wet as would be normal around a seashore i think a lot of it's the lighting like i'm just looking at the one picture as a reflective sun on the edge of the rock and you can see the reflection in the water yeah They've done. They've. They're starting to figure out what makes a real look real. Yeah, and you know, it sort of occurred to me about five years ago that the like the texture definition and the model definition was you know sufficient, and what we really needed was more lighting, like more accurate lighting, um, like and especially not just lighting but also shadows. Also, um, like you can do some pretty. Uh, pretty artistic and uh, interesting things with shadows. So, uh, speaking about you know even more graphics-related stuff, the president of the Kronos Group uh, was recently interviewed about the Vulkan API. So, uh, the Vulkan API is the uh, successor to OpenGL in a ways, uh, in that it is it specializes in. Uh, very high-performance graphics and low-latency graphics and multi-threaded processing, uh, which really helps now that we have, like, upwards of eight threads or even more on, uh, you know, like, pretty much, you know, high-end CPUs these days. 
So I, I thought normally with your graphics processing, you're doing most of your uh, processing on the graphics card with the CUDA cores because uh, they're really good with like matrices and such. How is the threading on this being used, do you think, to leverage the CPUs? So the issue uh, that has come up is that like pretty much every other graphics API only allows you to submit draw commands on a single thread. So now you can draw on different threads. You can submit commands with different threads, yes. Okay, so that means that my game now can be using different threads and drawing from all of the different threads was yeah. before. That's probably why so, a lot of games are single-threaded. Yeah. Um, well, not quite, but uh, like it's gotten to a point where the function call overhead uh, for these draw commands uh, has sort of impeded the speed of the CPU such that the GPU is left waiting a little bit for those commands to get there. So if multiple threads are creating commands and submitting them, then the GPU will be busier. I guess the next question for along there is whenever you start talking about threading, you get a new uh, concurrency thing. <clears throat> Who happens first? What if one uh, submits it before the other one out of order? The idea is that these commands would have a full set of commands necessary to set the state of the GPU uh, such that it, you know everything would be drawn correctly. So I guess what I'm saying is if there's you have your different threads going and we we're talking about how with one thread this GPU is waiting for some of this time, but now we have multiple threads going on so we can feed it faster, but how are we going to synchronize which one's feeding when so that they get fed? Is it feeding it frame by frame? Is that how that works? It's more like object by object. Okay, so maybe maybe you have a single scene and maybe you're... Core, one core is building the mountain, and another one's building the archer who's got the bow and everything, and and so you're feeding those objects into the graphics card, and it's compiling a overall scene of all the different components. Mm, well, it it would be drawing them immediately, so um, it's like even even with my sort of knowledge of how graphics works, you know, it's pretty much you know like here's a bunch of vertexes and texture coordinates and like lighting information and textures um like it, it will generate the image from that so it's just you know how fast can you get those commands to the gpu so supposedly the driver would take care of any concurrency issues sounds like it has a uh, great potential to make games faster yes and pretty much everything else so along with our streak of names beginning with Open, uh, Cisco will be acquiring OpenDNS for $635 million, or approximately two-thirds of an Instagram. Uh, so OpenDNS is, as the name, imp name implies, is a provider of DNS services. You know, the one system that converts, you know, like Google.com into the uh, IP address. Um, so I've been using OpenDNS for several years, like maybe about, well, seven or eight or so. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's a rather reliable service. You know, like I've, like when I first started using it, they're like, have no downtime whatsoever. And for some reason, I think they still have no downtime. I've used it for a similar amount of time and 
yeah, my experience is about the same as it's always really good. I remember way back when I read about it, supposedly they were claiming that it made the request faster, and it, it kind of did seem like I, I like it a lot. Especially compared to the ISP given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I guess your ISP one, you could have more variance, whereas this is more of a good, consistent thing. Uh, the good news about this, according to the article, they said they're still going to continue the free service, which is what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. So let's hope that that keeps on because it is a really great service and yeah. uh, nice to have. So the, uh, the, uh, this is this seems like a bit of a different step for Cisco. I do not think of them as a software company. I think of them as routers and things like that when you say Cisco. Yeah. So this is kind of maybe a new step for them. I mean, it's obviously a big step for almost well, a half a billion dollars. Well, I mean, pretty much every company today has been sort of expanding uh, like their market. So, like, Cisco, like, they make routers. Well, they make, well, they're in the business of networking. So, DNS would definitely be a part of that. Kind of like your Western Digital, Western Digital Router. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was Western Digital. So. Which is not a router company. Yet yeah. They made one. So, uh, speaking of that, uh, I mentioned that I ordered my mom one of those. So, time came to switch out the uh, old router for the new one, uh, the old router being like a Vonage box. Um, so, like the modem and like the Time Warner network, because that's what the cable company is over there, uh, needs to like sort of like refresh and like flush the, uh, the DHCP lease uh, for the old thing for the new one. So she calls up and, you know, says, you know, hey, uh, something's wrong. We switched routers, but it's not working. So the guy on the line asks, well, what's the router number? And apparently he referred them, he referred my mom to Netgear, I think. And like, so she called him up and uh, like she was wondering why the lady on the other end of the line was getting kind of annoyed. <laughs> it's like, well, that's yeah, not the router. Could <laughs> <laughs> you fix my router for me, please? <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe that could have been a valid choice if, you know, Western Digital doesn't do routers anymore. So, uh, anyways, uh, let's talk about something that runs on, uh, or rather runs through routers, uh, like uh, web servers. Uh, like, uh, how should I say, Wildfly. Uh, Wildfly 9 was recently released. Uh, so this apparently provides a little bit more of, uh, I think, load balancing and a very interesting feature, HTTP2 support. HTTP2, what does the 2 uh, bring us? So the big feature for that is that it multiplexes requests on a single connection. Oh, so, okay. so uh, you know, when you visit a web page, you have like you know several images, probably some yeah. style sheets, some scripts, and uh, if you are requesting it from the same server, uh, like sometimes your browser would open up different connections to that server in order to download things <clears throat> faster. Uh, with HTTP two, it would only need to use that single connection. So this is saving us on some download time. Then really, it's gonna. Yes. Speed things up a bit. So, but I can I can imagine that's still reducing the amount of files in your HTML 
will help. Yes, I would agree that's going to be the bigger performance increase. This is uh, probably more of a drop in the bucket, but still. It's... Well, it's I've seen arguments that this is you know even better. Like you might not have to do that anymore, but like it won't hurt because in that case, you know, HTTP two will you know perform the way it does, but for you know HTTP one point one, it'll work better than if you had all those files separate. So. Yeah, food for thought. So uh, now that the Intel whatever wells have been released, uh, the latest one being Broadwell, which is their 14 nanometer process shrink, uh, they're talking really heavily about their Skylake uh, processors, which will be a new architecture on 14 nanometer. The next one after that will be called Cannon Lake, which will be their 10 nanometer process shrink. Or that was the plan if pesky physics did not get in the way. Instead, there will be Cabby Lake, which will be built on 14 nanometer process. So uh, this is just as a side note. I'm probably going to be ordering a laptop imminently. Um, so you're thinking of uh, trying to get in on this latest and greatest then, I take it? Yeah, the Broadwells, uh, yes, but... The thing of it is, is that like the true quad cores got released like last month, so they haven't been able to filter down into many laptops yet. I see. So like the lower voltage ones are out, which you know, I'm trying to debate. Well, I'm not exactly wanting to, you know, have this laptop do a lot of processing. You know, maybe do light gaming, but you know that's it. Like I'm just going to be, you know, probably programming on it mostly. So. You know, having a thin and light, you know, would be preferable to like a big laptop that would, you know, have, you know, lots of power to it because that's why I have a desktop computer. Exactly. I feel I feel kind of similar that the desktop is a better place to put your power. Yeah, because, you know, back in the day, you know, I had laptops and like gaming on them kind of defeats the point. I mean, it's it's fun to do some gaming on them, and like my laptop, it doesn't play like super great, but it will play tanks on it, and it's playable. It's it's not great, but it it works. It'll work in a pinch. Yeah. So yeah. So anyways, uh, Broadwell was delayed quite a bit due to problems with the uh, fourteen nanometer process. Uh, normally, it would have been out like back in January or so, along with all the rest of them. Uh, but, you know, due to problems, Intel had to split the uh, the release out quite a bit. So I, I've seen in the article it had mentioned how that the uh, very constant releasing of smaller and smaller and smaller chips potentially could be changing now. And uh, perhaps we won't see quite as fast decreases in the sizes. So, like, now the challenge is you know, how do we actually use all of these cores to accomplish things? Uh, like... You know, using the Vulkan API. It's true. So uh, let's go ahead and beat up on the government for a little bit. Uh, so uh, earlier this month, uh, the FBI again has uh, you know lobbied the Senate, saying that we're all doomed without backdoors in cryptography. Um, so you know, here again is James Comey, you know, saying that unless we know what all these encrypted communications are. Uh, that we don't know what the terrorists are up to, and they'll blow us all to smithereens if we don't catch them. Love how the uh, 
it it keeps claiming for the need for backdoor and but it's not really saying how and solving it. And like uh, I think it was this article we were saying about how back in the Clinton era there was supposed to be this hardware chip where uh, there was a backdoor and you the clipper this, chip. Yeah, I the think. clipper chip. That's what it was called. And it's just like this magic thing you just stick in all the hardware and the government has a way in. But uh, they actually didn't know how to make it. It was just this mythical thing that didn't work. And, like, even the prototypes were insecure. Yes. So, uh, security experts reply that, no, that's a bad idea all around. Which I think I mentioned to you, Chris, a little bit, uh, talking about this. Um, So, you know, again, it's a backdoor. Technology is neutral. Very unlike Chris. Um, where that it's technology and that I'm natural, or you mean that technology neutral. is neutral? It doesn't care necessarily who uses it, so long as you authenticate correctly or get around it somehow. It'll pretty much work for anyone. That's basically the definition of our friendship. And even though I don't know a lot about you know technology myself, I'm just listening to you guys and just trying to absorb. Even I thought that's a really bad idea. Like, I already started coming up with ways that this could possibly backfire, and it just seems really short-sighted. You never told me about those ways. Could you please briefly (laughs) elaborate? I think I did. Well, okay. If you say, well, we'll create a backdoor, and we'll put it in the hardware. Okay. Here's really... The first concern that you're going to have is, does it actually work? Period. But presuming it does... What's to keep someone from actually using that hardware? Whatever hardware you're going to produce, unless it's, you know, an extremely customized chip, someone else will be able to, you know, hook it up, steal someone else's cell phone, figure a way to hook it up because all the hardware is the same, and hack in. Well, yeah, it is meant to be used by the public, so these back doors will be ubiquitous so they can get into anyone. Yeah, and that's just the hardware. Which the I, the I don't really understand your point there. What do you mean? I, I think he's saying that if the government can get in, that means other people can get in, too. Well, that's that's the obvious point, but you're talking about what if there was a chip that individually stored all the data that only the government would get to? That's the clipper chip. Yes, the one that had all that was easy to hack into. Okay, here's the question. How do you create a computer chip that only the government can use? That's not really the point. Why would you buy a chip that only the government would use? You don't buy the chip. You force the company that's making the phones to make the chip. So the user buys the thing that only the government can use. They have to pay for it, yes. It's kind of like a tax, but very subtle. So would this just be, you know, would this be marketed as such? Buy something that only the government can use. No, no. Buy this phone and the government can hear every conversation. You you buy the phone and in the phone, you know, you've got like a camera and it comes with the phone. And then, you know, inside the phone would be the chip. Now, I don't know what happens if the chip gets damaged or someone decides to like fry it. I mean, would that compromise the phone itself? You'd have to wire it in in a way that no one could get around it or program around it. Yeah, that's pretty much the clipper chip that you were describing. Okay, it just seems like not only would that be very okay. difficult to create, so but the, also easy to hack. The idea here is that you know the government says we need to weaken some things, 
So that would imply coming out with new standards that would allow a third party, such as the government, to, you know, hear what's going on. Which is... Well, okay. Which would Once not, you say the word weaken, which, then anyone could do. Which would not imply custom hardware. Okay, but if we're going to ignore the customized hardware thing, and you just go with, we're just going to okay, weaken so the standards. Okay, so next point. If she's going to weaken the standards, then what's to keep any third party from getting in? And yeah. th- that's the first thing. Second of all, you can then create a market for unscrupulous individuals who say, even if you can't get into your husband's phone because it's encrypted, I'll get into it for you because I know how. And they'll just sell their services online. Okay. There's that. There's the fact that, you know, just from listening to, you know, any public broadcast, how many times have we gotten foreign assaults that are digital in nature? Okay. How would that involve weakening encryption? Okay, well, if you're going to weaken encryption on any kind of information, it compromises a lot of them. Uh, is this effective? Okay. Oh, that was my note yeah. for me later to ask a question after you're done with your conversation. Right. I forget things. Okay, so on. if you say, well, you know, I'm going to store my data and I'm going to, you know, make so, this universal so, backdoor. It's a universal backdoor. It's not like programming is different in China. Exactly. That's, you know, <clears throat> my point of technology being neutral. Mm, exactly. So, you know, it wouldn't be just your government. It could be criminals. It could be foreign governments. Yes. Next point. Um, I'm going to have to go with the Watergate one. And don't get me wrong. I do hate conspiracy theories. But let's just say that someone thought that, you know, Miss Hillary Rodham Clinton, Miss Hillary Rodham Clinton, while she was serving as Secretary of State and had her cell phone, you know, um, as part of the, her governmental duties, um, that that is considered that there might be some sort of threat from her. That, you know, there's something going on here that may be less than legal and that we should simply seize all of those because she is an, a government agent and you see some private information that accidentally gets leaked and becomes very embarrassing to the Republic. Now, whether you endorse this woman or not, you have to admit certain things are to remain private. You know, some things I put on, I, I wouldn't say some things I put on my phone necessarily, but you know, if, if some, some people do have things on their phone, Pictures, personal notes, some people leave encouraging messages for themselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. Encouraging messages for themselves? You know, like Chris Bauhoff, you do stand up straight. I'm proud of you. You deserve a pat on the back. Okay? Some people do that. No judgments, no judgments. But the point is, if there's private correspondence, if there's anything that can be used to shame you publicly, that can be put around the world in seconds if there is a back door. Regardless of who's using it, even if it's the quote-unquote government. Yeah, they've never leaked anything. Judgment has been passed, stored, and evaluated. Are we compiling, or are we just going to skip to the next part? It'll it'll be stored and retrieved at a later period. And by the way, who decides what gets encrypted, what doesn't? Mm, By this point, it's pretty much relevant that everything should be encrypted. Okay, okay. But let's say um, people are starting to sync stuff up, right? So to sync stuff sync up? Sync things up. Like, okay, you say, well... Sync things up? Sync things up. You can, yes, do your hands thing that they can't sync see on their up? Okay, there are people who are developing technologies to, like, open doors using their cell phones, right? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. 
Mm-hmm. So you're no longer concerned that someone will find a picture of you looking like an idiot in a costume because you had to take your kids out for Halloween. You're now worried that someone who's a hacker can now break into your home. Yeah, that's why I'm against the Internet of Things. Oh, come on. Let's let the machines take over. They're all fun and metal and they kill people. Okay. Robot so apocalypse. Your, your, your rebuttal? So, so my follow-up thought on the whole thing was cause and effect. So the effect is uh, the FBI going to Congress and trying to get back doors into technology. So what was the cause to this? Did, did you notice, Andrew, the, the article? I, I saw it mentioned a couple of times, I felt like. So this particular one? Um, I or the, the one before? Oh, uh, I, I was noticing, I, I felt like I noticed in a couple of different ones. They're talking about the iPhone and the encryption that they're going to roll out to everyone. And that seems to be what everything keeps coming back to. They're really freaked out about this whole, the Androids and the iPhones are all going to be encrypted now and we can't uh, see what people have on them. Yeah, like, they fear that, you know, because they cannot get to what is on a suspect's phone, that they cannot gather evidence from that. Yep, and I I think an answer kind of to that is, uh, one thought that came to my mind when I was reading the articles is, if you think back, you know, couple hundred years back about like spying and what that was like it wasn't easy then either it wasn't as simple as hacking as hacking into someone's phone and checking out what they had i remember reading a story once about a spy in the revolutionary war it was that or the 1812 maybe in 1812 anyways he had a secret message in a round ball, and so I guess they caught him, and so he swallowed the round ball, and then they made him throw up to get the round ball back out and all that. But anyways, point was, it wasn't easy to get the data. They just didn't take his cell phone and turn on the back door and get the data off. Yeah, yeah, you know, it makes you think that, uh, you know, the FBI couldn't do anything, you know, like 50 years ago when no one had phones on them at all times. Exactly. And uh, I don't know if it was this article or another one. It had mentioned how that at the same time, uh, this age is not also kind of in a sense a golden age of spying when you have so much information out there. You have way more information than you ever had before. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to stop you there. Yeah. Chris is having a seizure. I must tend to him. What is this? this is pretty delicate for my kind of seizure. Usually I completely <laughs> just freak out, start running around, waving my arms. I'm actually being very calm here. Okay, here's the thing, though. If our best devices, our best programming, our best technologies come when we are competitive, when we are trying our best to develop new ideas to problem-solve, if you say that the government is going to decide the level of encryption, that's not really going to bolster that competition. So what will keep encouraging people to get better and better and better at keeping things secure when it's mandated by the government how much should be secure. Well, interesting thing that you asked that. So do you know what the NIST is? I'm listening. The National Institute of Science and Technology, I think. That sounds right. I believe it's like a you know division of the Department of Con- Commerce. Uh, so they had a competition like... 15 years ago, I think, uh, and they wanted a new encryption standard, and what came out of that was called AES, and that is pretty much the algorithm used for 
like bulk encryption everywhere. So you can successfully argue that the government does sort of control encryption as it is. And as it stands today, there has been no successful attack against it. That we've been told about. Mm, yeah, pretty much. Like, I'm pretty sure, you know, like, Google and other companies everywhere have people, you know, trying hard to hit this, you know, you know, just to make sure it's secure and all that. And, like, all they come up with is, like, a weak attack against, like, key generation on, like, one of them. That's that's kind of a key thing with this whole backdoor stuff. Say you have an, an encryption algorithm and now you know uh, mathematically or however insert insert a backdoor into it so now you've kind of weakened it so not as good so you know if you you know weaken the standards and you know even if you you know do the clipper chip way of you know like handing these keys over to the government that implies that you need to trust the government with these keys in order to be secure yes but how can we trust the government to keep these things? Because, you know, it was within the past month that we, you know, realized that the, I think it was like the Office of Records Management or something, uh, like, got compromised earlier this year and like 21 million uh, records got, you know, compromised and stolen. You see, that's the thing. Anytime data is stored someplace, somewhere, it's... It becomes a vulnerable. Yeah, it becomes a target. Yep. Yep. So you know, like even the government cannot keep things safe. And the uh, in one of the articles, uh, I think the FBI director was you know, kind of like his his counter to that argument was, well, let the companies keep this hidden super secret key, and then when we need something, we will go to the court order stuff, and then they're handed over. Over maybe even say we have the key broken up into different parts, and you. One person can't go and do it, but I think there's still flaws in that. And uh, if if there's a way in, it's it's vulnerable. No matter what, no matter who, you really can't trust anyone. So pretty much everyone had the discussion we just had, and James Comey came back uh, a couple days later and uh, apparently declared during a debate that I really am not a maniac. So, uh, you know, he sort of clarified his position, you know, saying that we don't really mean that we want you to weaken the encryption itself, but that sounds exactly like what crypto backdoors mean. Yeah, I, I, it basically is what it is. And another quote from that article he was saying about, uh, it said, can you name a single security engineer or technical expert who thinks this is remotely a good idea and it's like yeah no one thinks this is a good idea that knows what they're talking about and someplace else i think it was this article that said about putting the government's envisioning you put a bunch of smart people in a room and tell them solve the problem and they'd just be like whoosh, with their wands and it's gone and uh it doesn't quite work like that yeah Let's go to some appreciate and deprecate, uh, which I believe it's all appreciate this time. It is. So, uh, 
on my desktop uh, for my development environment, I have a Linux virtual machine running inside of VirtualBox, uh, which recently hit version 5. And it seems to have uh, a few interesting features. Uh, well, we were just talking about encryption. You can encrypt the disk images themselves. Um, and you know, there's also improvements in drag-and-drop support, and now supports USB 3.0. Um, there's also some options where you can start the machine in detachable or headless mode, which I'm not exactly sure how it works, because like when I bring up my VirtualBox console, I can go ahead and like start the virtual machine and then close this console. So, like, I'm not exactly sure what that means. I, I think I think it's like saying that the window's coming up and it's like, it sounds like it's launching in a different process, maybe? Mm, maybe. So, what do you want to talk about? So, mine was a particle form, formerly known as Spark. Uh, it's a mini chip thing, very similar to, uh, if you recall, maybe like a month ago we talked about chip, the $9 computer. Yes. Uh, so it's a very similar concept, about the same size, and uh, it's a little more expensive though. It's it's around, I think I paid 30 or $40 for it, and it has a Wi-Fi chip on board, and it has a bunch of pins, so you can plug it right into breadboard. It's got a... I think it's a mini USB port on it, it's just, just like the Raspberry Pi does for charging, slash I think you can access it with a computer through that as well. It's got onboard memory. It's it's not set up quite like a Raspberry Pi or the chip uh, in that it's not really running a Linux OS you can just kind of choose to put on to it. Instead it's kind of more their thing, uh, just kind of like... I only set it up part way, but just to get an idea of how it is, like when you first get it out of the box, the first thing you do, you plug it in, it starts blinking lights, and then you install the app on your cell phone. And your cell phone wirelessly connects with uh, this thing, and it actually sends it the wireless credentials for your router, and then this thing hops onto your wireless router and goes and updates its firmware automatically. And then it connects, you made an account with Particle, and then it connects up with your account and it says, Hey, I'm here! And uh, it just starts pulling particles its website asking for any updates that need to happen. And so on your cell phone, you can have an app and you can turn certain pins on and off or you can set them as ACBC, whatever you want. You can configure it for like testing purposes. But the real power of it, though, is you can actually program through the website, of the particle website, you can write... They have like a golden IDE. You can write your code there, and they have like look like a pretty uh, trying to think the word a, a library that was open, as in like different people could contribute to their online library. So it looked like you had a lot of options there. Anyways, using those libraries and code you write in the IDE, you can push your firmware up to your uh, particle, and uh, then it'll program it, and it can do your thing for it. And so it's kind of, in a sense, you can think of it as a microcontroller that can program itself that's connected to the internet automatically. And in a hmm. nutshell, that's what it is. It's not like the Pi. The Pi is a computer. You can plug keyboard and mouse into it. I don't think you can plug keyboard and mouse into this. This is dedicated IoT thing. It looks really promising, too. Cool. So unfortunately, we don't do not have any podcast feedback this week. So I'm not sure what's going on. I think that some of our listeners got like sent down a river or something. 
Uh, hope you guys uh, made it back okay. So uh, if you want to send any feedback, please do so on the nexus.tv. And don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up all your stuff. Hi, Mom. Hope your router's doing okay. Man, that was a great two weeks. No. No, it wasn't? It was horrible. It was too long. How long was it, Andrew? Too long. Okay, would you like to say a number? That's divisible by like seven and or four. And or four? Yes. 56. I knew you were going to say something like that. <laughs> I was like, I bet he uses a different multiple just to annoy me. Maybe it has been 28 days. Huh? It's it's not working, Chris. I... So what will you be doing over the next 20-whatever days? Um, I'll be celebrating Independence Day. Really? July 4th. It's, it's, it's a thing. Of next year? Listen, you guys got to talk about what you did for the July 4th thing on your podcast. But if I didn't get to talk about what I did, so I'm going to pretend like I haven't done it yet. So okay. It seems what like will you be doing? Tomorrow? Over the next, like, 20-some days. Well, is that two weeks or is it 28 days? There is a difference. Steve, what will you be doing? How are you dare you turn forward? your back on me? What will I be doing? What are you looking see. forward to? What am I looking forward to? Well, on Saturday, uh, we have a family reunion, and uh, so that's oh. always always fun. Lots of uh, food and Jello and uh, cookies and potato salad and all kinds of sweet stuff to make me nice and fat. That's always a good one. Um, yeah, and uh, let's see here. Next week, back to work. I guess I'm moving to a different project now, so hmm. kind of wrapping up this one that we did. Uh, so I get to do something new. Well, new old. Turns out it's a project I, an extension of a project I've been working on for the past three years, anyways. So, yeah. All right. So I have news. You have news. Something unbelievable happened. Does this have something to do with your sheep? Yeah, sure. My sheep. I got a raise. Good nice. job. Yay! Great. I love it. Oh. So, let's Ooh. see. What will I be looking forward to? I will be looking forward. Someone else has to ask you what you're looking for. You have to wait. Andrew, what are you looking forward to? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Stephen. I am looking you. forward to finally finishing The Witcher 3. It has been a game that has been going on forever and forever, and it's been a glorious waste of time. Um, let's see, it was two days ago that, uh, you know, it pretty much seemed like it was coming to a head, and by head I mean huge battle where everyone dies. So, said, said battle happened, and only one guy died. I'm like, that was such a letdown. I hate it when I'm, when something important is about to happen. So, like, you know, you go into, like, a Texas roadhouse, then someone's like, oh, we have a birthday going on, and then only one person dies. That always disappoints me. Like, every time something of significance happens, like, you know, you get up in the morning... So why or... would someone die at a birthday party? Because what I was playing was not a birthday party. Okay, you're saying something of significance. You were You kind of... You need to define what you mean by point of significance, you know? 
is he celebrating his birthday? Is this the culmination of his life's work? Is this him getting his divorce finally? I mean, like at a divorce, someone should die. I'm sorry. That's just whoa. My that is what? racist. That it's no, it's intellectualist. That way, we have survival of the fittest. So, anyways, I guess we will be intellectualist. So, have a good one. You too. Do I clap now? <laughs>